Pray that we can open your word and get a glimpse, Father, of, of what you have in store for us and your people. And dear Lord, uh, you have given us your word. Uh, be, please be with Pastor Bob as he brings this word this morning, that we will understand it. Dear Father, in that glimpse of, of uh, something so glorious that we understand that we can only, only understand a shadow of it. Uh, we just pray, Father, for your light to shine in, the, in this dark moment, Father, and, and uh, that where this word goes out, it will seek and it will find exactly what you have in mind, that hearts will be changed, and uh, that your name will be honored and glorified. This in the name of our precious Savior, alone we pray. Amen. And amen. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning uh, or joining us live stream uh, this morning, we've been on a series of messages, a thematic message of the trees of the Bible. We began uh, a number of months ago back in Genesis chapter 1 with God's creating of trees upon that third day. But God throughout Scripture has been sending a message. As I pointed out to folks Thursday night at our Monday Thursday service, uh, some authors have concluded that there are no major characters of Scripture who are not associated with one, in one way or another with a tree. It's pretty significant then that in God's word, <clears throat> God continually associates trees with not only people, but with his glorious plan of salvation as well. In fact, the whole thing is laid out for us in scripture through God's use and God's bringing forward trees. Thursday night, we looked at the tree, the tree of the cross, even as Peter refers to it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins upon the tree. This morning, we look at Revelation chapter 22, and the note here that is made for us about the fact that the tree of life is there in glory. Now you might think, well, that'll probably bring to an end the series. Actually, it, it doesn't. Uh, next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, we'll come back again. Um, and, and we'll discuss and look at from God's word the one tree that we are to carry with us each and every day of our life, each and every moment of our life. There is a tree that we are to be carrying, and we'll uh, dig into that. But for this morning, we want to look at this tree of life, actually pretty apropos for a resurrection Sunday that we speak about life. So we want to look at just two things regarding this. First of all, the appearances of the tree of life, and secondly, the access to the tree of life. How is it that we are able to eat of that tree of life? How do we gain access to that tree of life? But first of all, the, the appearances. The tree of life that is discussed here in this last chapter of the book of Revelation makes its first appearance on the pages of Scripture way back in Genesis chapter 2 and then figures prominently as well into chapter 3. And we learn there, back in Genesis 2 and 3, 
of two major things. One, God planted it. God planted the tree of life in the midst of the garden. And he planted that tree of knowledge of good and evil. And thereby, through those two trees, we understand all that we need to know in regards to salvation. It is through those two trees that God does indeed communicate the gospel message. So the appearance of the tree of life, back in Genesis, God plants it. God plants it in the Garden of Eden. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we read specifically that God barred Adam from the tree of life. He brings those cherubim with their flaming swords to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve are are kicked out of that garden. And God specifically notes, we need to take this step to bar him from eating of the tree of life. And we know that that happened. We know that that took place because Adam sinned. Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that which God had commanded them not to do. So God in his grace, see, we might look at this, or a lot of people might look at this and say, well, how mean of God? Why didn't he give them access to that tree of life? Why didn't he allow them to eat of it? Because if God had allowed Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life in their sinful state, there would have been no hope. That would have been the condition that they would have been in permanently. Not just for this life, but forever. So God barred them from that tree of life here upon this earth in order that, in glory, the tree of life might have access to once again. But that's what's coming up. So first of all, that. Secondly, though the tree of life doesn't just disappear. It's not like, oh yeah, God barred it, and now we do not read about the tree of life until we get to Revelation chapter 22. That actually isn't true. The book of Proverbs, for example, just as as one book, brings out the fact that the tree of life in Proverbs chapter 3, 13 through 18, is wisdom. See, if we're, if we're going to ask, what is this tree of life all about? The Bible describes it for us. Proverbs says, it's the tree of wisdom. Remember, there was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. But the tree of life is the tree of wisdom. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says that the tree of life is the fruit of the righteous. In other words, it's the idea of purity. It's the idea of completeness. The tree of life makes its appearance again in glory. There, again, signifying wisdom. There, again, signifying the fruit of the righteous, completeness, purity. In chapter 13, verse 12, the tree of life is signified as Sinless desires fulfilled. 
that all of one's desires without sin are found in the fulfillment in the tree of life. Think of of what that would be like. Taking sin out of the picture. Every good and perfect thing that we are seeking finds itself fulfilled in this tree of life. Or in chapter 15, verse 4, they are, the tree of life is pictured as soothing words, peace. The tree of life, what, what, what's it? is it about the fruit itself? Is it about the taste of the fruit? Is it especially sweet? What, what is it? Now, it, it's picturing for us that which symbolically represents wisdom, purity, fullness, completeness. Desire fulfilled sinlessly. Peace. Now, who would not want that fruit? Right? If the eating of that fruit could bring those things, who would not desire that? Turn with me if you have your Bibles open back to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Here's another passage before we get to the last chapter where the tree of life is mentioned. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Christ, those are the words of Jesus Christ there, is laying before us. This this tree of life is something that that we truly should desire and comes as, as a reward, comes as a blessing to the one who conquers. I'll give access to that tree of life. And then... As we've already read in the book of Revelation, the tree of life makes its appearance now at the end. But there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. Go with me, look very specifically okay, at verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Now, in the Greek, that definite article, the, does not appear. So, its literal reading is as follows. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, tree of life. Now just stop and think about the garden scene that is before us. Right, this morning in our sunrise service, we we talked about Mary reflecting and, and saying, thinking Jesus was the gardener. And truly he is. He is the gardener. He's the master gardener. But he is so much more than just that. That's the limitation of Mary. She only sees him as that. 
mistaking him. But that doesn't mean there wasn't truth in what she was saying. Jesus is the gardener. And here it is. Here is the garden. He created one, right? Back in Genesis, there is the Garden of Eden. And that which is before us here in Revelation 22 is an even grander and even more glorious. Just like the tabernacle was to be a shadow of the coming of glory, the temple, but a shadow of that which was to come. So is the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is but a, a shadow of that which glory will be. And God uses the language of a garden, a great and glorious garden. But there in that garden, note, there is no tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is no more sin. But there is the tree of life. Tree of life. Because if you read the description, note that it's on either side of the river. And we would say, how can a tree be on either side of the river. That would have to be two trees. Oh no, my friends, it's more glorious than that. This is a boulevard lined with tree of life. Unless you think I've kind of gone on my rocker a little bit, I'll refer to William Hendrickson, perhaps one of the finest commentators on the book of Revelation, writes the following. The term tree of life is collective. Just like avenue and river, the idea is not that there is just one single tree. No, there is an entire park, whole rows of trees alongside the river, hence between the river and the avenue. And it is true with respect to all the avenues of the city. Hence, the city is just full of parks. Observe, therefore, this wonderful truth. The city is full of rivers of life. It is also full of parks containing trees of life. These trees, moreover, are all full of fruit. Wherever one looks, there is the river of life. Wherever one looks, there is the tree of life. Wherever one looks, there is the fruit. And there are the leaves. It is a gorgeous scene. Think of the hope that springs within us even in this past couple of weeks. That hope of we, we, we go outside and we might have a bush, we might have a plant, maybe we've got a tree outside of our, our house and we begin to see those buds and we go, oh, the winter is past. Right? The winter is past. Spring is coming. Pretty soon that tree is going to be in full bloom and we go, yes, life. What does God present to you and I here this morning in Revelation 22? You want to see life? Rivers of life, tree of life, fruit, leaves, life. But how do we gain access to that tree of life? How, how, how do we participate? In that garden. How, how is that our eternity? How is that to be our future? How is that to be which we will enjoy forever and ever and ever? Living where there is peace eternal. No more friction. No more problems. No more pain. 
No more suffering, no more death. A place where there is only soothing words. A place where there is but only wisdom. A place where there is complete and total fulfillment. Not partial, not, not sort of, right? We can go on the best vacation in the world. We can go, oh, that was just, that was just the absolute fabulous vacation. Then a few weeks later comes this little notice from Visa. And we go, oh yeah, we got to pay for it, right? Even the best of vacations, it, it kind of gets its little ding, doesn't it? There's always a little something. Not here, not here. There's no, there's no little dings coming. There's no little aftermath. Just, just continual glory. How is that to be our future? Let me lay before you three things. One, it is first of all through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to glory. No one has access to the tree of life without me. There's no other way. We've been on a long journey in our Wednesday night uh, uh, education time of looking at various religions and cults and so on. Coming to, to the conclusion that, yes, some of, of the lines that, that associate ourselves with fellow Christians, yeah, sometimes we're not always on the same page. But they are brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also come to that line that says, no, no, they're out. They're out because there is no Christ. There is no Christ Jesus as the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. There is no Jesus as the Bible refers to him and references him. They have no access to the tree of life because they know not Christ. And let me just be clear, very clear once again. To all who are here this morning, to those of you who watch, to those of you who maybe are going to watch this later, come across it just flipping through. There is but one way to salvation. There is but one way to glory. There is but one way to the tree of life. And that way is through Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Whatever other means you think your good life is going to get you there, it will not. Your good life is riddled with sin. You think that some saint is going to get you there, their life was riddled with sin. You think the church is going to get you there, well, I think we're pretty much aware that the church is riddled with sin as well. You think Buddha's going to get you there? You, you think uh, meditation is going to get you there? You, you think magical arts are going to get you there? There is no other way. Only Jesus Christ. But secondly, in regards to Christ, it is only by way of the cross. It's not Jesus Christ as some idealic teacher. 
as, as some Rabboni, as Mary Magdalene called them in our passage this morning, as just some example to follow. Oh, if I just live like Jesus, or if I just have the principles of Jesus, then I get there. No! It is Jesus Christ as the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, but only by way of the cross. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Let me just read 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ, died for the ungodly. See, access to that peace only because Christ died for the ungodly. You have to admit you're ungodly. You have to acknowledge you are a sinner. And the only way you can acknowledge, truly acknowledge, that you are a sinner is by the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Only by being born again do we come to the understanding and knowledge of what horrific sinners we are and that only by the cross, only by that tree, only by Christ bearing on that tree your sin, my sin, is there peace. Only through the cross is there access to that tree of life. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The cross. Christ on the cross of Calvary, paying my sin, your sin, is what brings us access to this garden of Revelation 22. It brings us access to the tree of life. But there is more. There is today. There is this glorious 
resurrection. Yes, it's through Jesus Christ. Yes, it's by means of the cross. But it is also by the resurrection. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're just going to note a number of things that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, gives to us here. First of all, look with me at chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Every aspect of Christ's life is crucial. His being born, his living a sinless life, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, his work as the high priest, his coming again as the king of kings and lord of lords. Every part is crucial. Even the resurrection, this day, this day, it's not like somehow the resurrection is just some sort of aftermath. It's not like it's all about the cross and all about the cross and it ends at the cross. No, what the Holy Spirit through Paul is telling us is, no, you need the resurrection for without the resurrection, our faith is futile. It's vain. It's empty. There is nothing there. We don't get access to the tree of life. We don't get to go to the glorious garden of God. We don't enter glory. If Christ is still dead, if his bones are somewhere in a cave or a tomb somewhere in the Holy Land, we are still in our sin. It is the resurrection that is God's stamp of approval. It is God's well done. It is, I accept the sacrifice. Remember in those Old Testament sacrifices as we've been going through Hebrews? They present the sacrifice and the smell of the sacrifice is a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. The resurrection is the sweet smell in the nostrils of God because it means he has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. One access? No access without a resurrection. That's why this day is so important. It is the day, it is the event in which we live and move and have our being. It is key. But secondly, it is also reality. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, Paul is writing during a time in which there were some who were poo-pooing the resurrection. They were, they were naysayers. They were like, ah, yeah, that's not important. Who can believe that somebody was raised from the dead? That's not what's important. Let's just make butterflies. Well, that's not what's important. Let's just talk about Easter bunnies. That's not what's important. It's, it's you know, about chocolate. 
It's about eggs. That's what's important. No, they weren't saying that, but that's what it's been carried into. As if to say, well, you see, there is no resurrection. And the sad thing is, today, brothers and sisters in Christ, you could have chosen to walk into the doors of many other churches and you would not have heard these words. What words? Jesus Christ literally rose from the dead. His dead body came to life. He is raised up from the grave. And once again, if you wonder why the church is so powerless, we even deny the power of the resurrection. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's why there is an eternity. That's why that eternity for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have been born again, who have placed our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, who acknowledge the fact that we are sinners, but saved only by grace. That's why there's a tree of life. And that's why you and I have access to that tree of life. Because there was a literal, actual resurrection upon that first resurrection day. It is the first fruits. It is Christ raised from the dead. A physical reality. Thirdly, go with me down to 1523. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to him. Here's the glorious hope. How do I get to eat of that tree of life? How, how do I do so? I'm going to need a body to eat of the tree of life. Yes, you will. And you'll have one. You'll have one. We may take you to a cemetery this week. We may lower your casket down in the ground. We may pile dirt over it. We may put a marker there designating the day of your birth, the day of your death, your name. Your soul Immediately in the presence of God. But there's coming a day. Christ showed us that day. He evidenced that day. He evidenced that day when that stone is rolled away and he emerges with a body. Oh, not like the body that was sown. Paul goes on to explain that if you, if you want to take the time this afternoon to look at the rest of 1 Corinthians 15. Not the body that was sown, not the seed that was planted in the ground. Some of you as farmers are soon going to be planting corn seed in the ground. And in a few weeks, Lord willing, that same type of corn comes up through the ground and you go, no, Bob, no, that's not the way it works. The corn seed doesn't come up. The plant does. And the plant doesn't look like the corn seed. Yeah, that's the illustration. We're going to plant your body, this physical body, but it's going to be raised a glorious body. 
Because you see, this physical body, with all of its weakness, with all of its frailty, can't eat of the tree of life. We need new kind of teeth. We need new kinds of hands. We need a new kind of tongue in order to eat of that tree of life. And God's going to give it to us. That's why this day, this day of resurrection, is filled with so much hope. Because we never go to a cemetery of a believer in Jesus Christ without hope for our own hearts, for our own lives. We always have hope. It's never as dismal as we think it is. Because there's always the hope, the glorious hope of that resurrection. We shall raise from the grave, even as Christ, the firstfruits, rose with a glorious body. Fifth, go down with me to, or fourth, go down with me to chapter 15, verse 50. We not only have this hope, we have the victory. The victory is already won. The battle is already over. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us, gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is ours. Close our service. We're going to sing as our doxology, victory in Jesus. Ah, yes, that's what's ours. That's what the resurrection brings. It doesn't bring defeat. It doesn't bring despair. It doesn't bring hopelessness. It brings victory. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over hell. Victory over the grave itself. Through Jesus Christ. Therefore. Listen to how Paul concludes this. Therefore. My beloved brothers be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor for the Lord. Is not in vain. You know what the resurrection does? We ought to focus our lives 
focus our lives not on the things of this world, but it ought to focus our things on the things of God, on the spiritual realities, on working for the Lord is not in vain. See, working for yourself, that's vain. That's empty. Working for your family, that's empty. That goes nowhere. It is the work done for the Lord. It is the work done for God's glory. It is the work done for God's praise. That has eternal value. Why? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Therefore, be immovable. Be strong. Be steadfast. Abound in the work of the Lord. And God's people say, Amen. At this time, our choir will come forward, present their second selection of praise to the Lord.